0: Nation, welcome to episode one twenty-two, Mister Benfica here on the PTB Media Network. What's up to everybody watching live on Twitter, on Insta, on uh, YouTube, and on Facebook? If you're watching on YouTube, please go right down, da- right down there. You can't see my hand because of where I positioned the camera, but right down there, in the. In the right corner of your screen, low right corner, hit the subscribe button if you're new, if you're watching or listening for the first time, welcome. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu Follow me on Twitter at Mike Agustino, that's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O, and follow the show at, at uh, Mr. Benfica, on uh, or at Benfica Mr., excuse me, on Twitter uh we're getting we're up over eight hundred followers now on Twitter for the show let's get that to a thousand let's get that to a thousand why don't we uh, so please uh follow the show share it okay and a, a big welcome to everybody here joining me and if you're joining for the first time, welcome this is Mr Benfica an English language podcast about sport Liboa Benfica. I just talked for an hour about the women's team this second hour now tonight is about the men's team and our match this week. Round 2 of the Liga Portugal B win. Gil Vicente versus Benfica at the Estádio Cidade de Barcelos up north. Once again, one of our many trips this year to the Minho uh, province of Benf- uh, Portugal. City of Barcelos to be exact, and you all know what the mascot of Barcelos is. I'm not going to use the word in English, but you know what it is. That's right. Um, it's uh, Benfica come in, riding some some good performance. Definitely a good string of results for Benfica coming in. Okay, I'm going to pull that up for you to start it off. Benfica coming in with five straight victories to start this season. Okay, uh, five difficult victories to start this season. Two against Spartak Moscow. Uh, wins over. I said round two. This was round three. Excuse me. Wins over Moreniz, Uh Win over Arroca. A win over PSV. And having watched PSV, I'm going to tell you this right now. I watched, I've watched. i been watching a lot of PSV's matches. I've gone back and found them. Thank you ESPN Plus for having the Dutch Eredivisie uh, and Paramount Plus for having the Champions League. I've watched a lot of PSV's football now. They are good. The fact that we won that that first leg last Wednesday can't be underestimated. They are good. They're better. I'm going to say this right now. This is a hot take. This may offend. But they are better than any team in Portugal. They are better than any team in They are better than Sporting right now, at least offensively. And shout out to Dave. Uh, there he is. He's just doing the homework. He likes it. I always do my homework, Dave. Um. Football is almost like an addiction for me. I can't get enough of it. So you give me a reason to go watch some obscure league, I'm all for it. I mean, I, I've spent, I don't know how many hours I've spent. The Parking the Bus podcast is literally because of my obsession and my addiction <laughs> to this sport. It's the only reason I, I pick some of the most obscure leagues to cover because no one else is talking about them. And I love to to, to find them and watch them. Uh. You know I've been following the Brasileirão all night as well, and the Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, the Australian A League. I love it all. So uh, yes, uh, it is exciting to get to watch these games. But this, this this PSV team is scary. The fact that we won that game needs to be recognized. That we don't have as, at least offensively speaking, I don't think we have as good of a roster as they do. We're better in the back than they are, which is. The total opposite of what we usually face. We usually don't see ourselves as the, the best, the better defensive team of the two. But um, yeah, I mean, tomorrow when we take on PSV, that's going to be absolutely uh, intense, to say the least. PSV are very good. They're going to be playing at home, they're going to be motivated. And uh, watching how PSV ran over Ajax in that Dutch Super Cup. Benfica need to be very, very careful in the early going. I've seen fans tweeting and saying, go for it. Go for it. No. That's what IX did. You're going to get caught out. You're going to get... <laughs> the last thing you need is for is to have your leader raced inside of the first 10 minutes. Let the match find a rhythm. Let the match find a flow. And if you're interested, my plan is to go live tomorrow, 2.30 Eastern Time here in the United States. That is 7.30 in Portugal. Half hour before the match kicks off. I believe that, yes, the match kicks off at 3 o'clock. My time, uh, 8 o'clock in Portugal. So thir- 25 to 30 minutes before kickoff, I'm going to go live and do the first pregame show of the year because I'm not working tomorrow. So that's what I'm doing. All right, so tune in uh, on on wh- wherever you watch this, whether it's on the YouTube, on Twitter, or on Facebook. Okay, I will be live tomorrow. Sometime between 2.30 and 2.35 p.m. Eastern Time. That's the plan, at least. If it falls through, I will tweet that out. But we'll talk about PSV then. Okay, let's talk about Gil Vicente Benfica um, here in in Barcelos. Gil Vicente comes out with the 4-3-3 for their manager, who always gives us a hard time, Ricardo Suárez. When he was manager of Moreirense, it was the same thing. This guy gives us a hard time. Always well organized. His teams are always well organized. This was no exception. Uh, the goalkeeper Stanislav Krystiuk, that my buddy there at Goal TV, Nick, Nino Torres. Shout out to Nino. Uh, him and I were exchanging some tweets during the game. Again, this is kind of becoming one of my hobbies. Is is distracting him while he's calling the match for Goal TV in English. But uh, he just called him Stan. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to call him Stan tonight, this goalkeeper. The four in the back, Zekarluj is on the right. Lucas Furujim is in the center along with Ruben Fernandes. And Tolosha is the left back. And I'm going to say right now, Tolosha was one of Benfica's best players in this match. Why? He may have been the only thing he did wrong all match, but he left. Peasy onside for the shot slash cross, and he left Lucas Verissimo onside for that goal. That if not for that, it was gonna be a. a, a if we drop points in this one, I mean, it would have been devastating. And Dave is saying that yes, Ricardo Suárez does have a good group of players over at Gil. I like this team a lot, actually. I like this Gil Vicente team a lot. Like I said, well organized, but there's some skill in there too. We'll move to the midfield: Pedrinho, Carvalho, and, and Fujimoto. There's some good skill in that group, and when they're in space and when they have the ball, they can play with it. Uh, you can't. They don't. They're more than just sitting with with deep lines. Okay, they do play a bit. Um, we were fortunate that the stadium was pretty much all our fans. Okay. So you had that la, 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 ba, All game. Keeping us on our toes. Um, It looked like it was hot out. It did look hot. Um... Interestingly enough, no no cooling break like the women had in Sarajevo when it was you know less than less than eighty degrees Fahrenheit in Sarajevo for their game and uh, they had played a few a few hours before this one. The attacking line also for for Gilles Vicente Sint is also a very very good attack line for a team of this caliber. They are well run and I think that uh, I don't remember if I saw this on Canalones if it was on BTV after the match in the postgame. game, but. Or if it was in the pregame, but Gil Vicente sent our very well-run team. Now remember, they were brought back to the first division through the courts. Okay, through I don't know if you want to, the administration, the 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 cast, the court of arbitrary of arbitration for sport in Portugal. Okay, they were wrong. It was ruled they were wrongly relegated. They didn't come up one level. They came up two levels last season, or the season before, two seasons ago, with with the late great uh, Vitor Oliveira as their manager. Since that day they have been so well run. They are not a team that and and this needs to be commended because this is not the norm in Portugal and in Portuguese football. Their players get paid every month. There is no worry that they're not going to be paid. Their manager gets paid every month. The team pays their bills. They own their stadium. Okay? Their stadium is multi-use stadium, which is important. They can hold festivals, they can hold concerts. They can hold rugby matches, whatever. They can. They have alternate streams of revenue from a small city like Barcelos. And this is a really well-run club, and it needs to be noted. It needs to be applauded. So I'm going to applaud that right now, that this Gil Vicente, you know, watch for this team. They're going to be a tough. Listen, our rivals are all going to have a hard time going to Barcelos to play them this year. If they keep this group together. And and someone doesn't come in and poach players from them. This team could be very, very difficult. And they could be pushing up near one of those uh, UEFA Europa Conference spots. I don't doubt it for a minute. Here's their attacking uh, three. Murillo down the left. Samuel Linu on the, on the center. And Bilal down the right. These are all players that have experience in this league. Uh, we've seen them with, with a couple of clubs. And Dave is also saying here, making a good point. And yes, losing Lawrencey, Lawrencey killed us last year. We lost, we lost to them at the Stade de la Luge. We lost to them last year. Lawrencey had two goals, and Nino, Nino, my buddy there at Goal TV, said in that game, if you remember, <laughs> Gilles sent won two to one. Lawrencey scored two goals. And Gilles Vicente scored an own goal. So they scored all three goals. That's the only reason it was even that close. Lawrence, he was a very, very good player. And uh, that also helped Benfica out a lot that he was not there because that guy gave us headaches. He's a very, very good player. Benfica, however, come out in the 3-5-2. I saw people wanting the four. Guys, I don't think we're going to see much of a four-man back line. Our outside backs don't defend well enough people say well we only have three center backs well no i truly believe this okay and, and i don't, i'm not saying i'm not the first one to say this so i'm not taking credit for this but i think andre almeida's uh role going forward unless it's an emergency is not as a wing back that's really not in his wheelhouse andre almeida is going to become uh, that backup right center back in my opinion and he's going to log minutes at right center back. And here's what, why. Because Otamendi is going to need rest. Whether we win or lose tomorrow. We're either going to Champions League or we're going to Europa League. We're going to have midweek matches. I can see a situation where if Otamendi. Otamendi hasn't had an offseason. Keep that in mind. The season ended. He went to Argentina. He played two World Cup qualifiers. He went and played Copa America. He came back. Copa America ended in like a week later he was in training. He didn't take as long as a layoff as the others, because we had these very important Champions League qualifiers early in the season, and we needed him. He's a guy we can't afford to come in late. So, at some point, Otamendi is going to need rest. What's going to happen, in my opinion, if I'm George Szucs and I'm not George Azuz, but what I I see and what I would do, and what I would advise my manager to do if I'm in my the role I used to you know try to earn a living in as the number one, as the number two, I'm sorry, as the as the first assistant. It's when Otamendi needs rest, Lucas Verissimo slides into that deep-lying center role and André Almeida plays the right the right uh center back role. Okay, Morato and Vertonghen have the left center back role. So now we have five for three positions. I I really think that's where we're going. I've been told, I have been told by someone, I'm not going to say who, an unnamed source right now, but I have been told and been privy to some information I may be right. I may be wrong. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say who said this. But there's a good chance that Gustavo Gomez is on his way to Benfica. Possibly. Benfica are looking at Gustavo Gomez, who plays in the Brazilian league. Okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he plays for Palmeiras. I cover that league, and I should know. Yes, it is Palmeiras. He plays for Palmeiras. Uh, he plays for Belfareta. And I do believe that JJ is a big fan of his. And we know JJ loves the Brazilians in the Brazilian League. He's not Brazilian. He's Paraguayan. But he plays in the Brazilian League. If he comes, that's six. Okay? Um, that's two two different sets of three. We'll see what happens with Morato. Um, I have another question here from Dave. I'm going to hit that in one second, Dave. But I I... I don't see us going to a four-man back line because we can't defend wide. We just can't. Again, watching Grimaldo. Grimaldo does a lot of good things going forward. Watching him try to defend is is painful. Uh, Diogo Gonçalves down the right is not a good right. I mean, if we go to four, then you're going to play four center backs across the back. And we don't want to do that unless you want to keep leaking goals down our flanks like we've done for the last 18 months let's get to Dave's question here he says will I see a three center back set with Maratu Vertonghen and Andrea made at any point this season I think that that's very possible also with Moratu playing s- central if that happens and I think that's where he would that's who would go central um we'll see what happens when the fixture congestion goes again if we go to the Europa League, I think there's a very good chance you see that, that trio there at some point in the Europa League, League Cup, you know, competitions like that. Or if, you know, yellow card substitutions start to pile up. Otamendi gets a yellow card almost every time he plays. So you can almost count on having him miss one of every six, seven matches because it takes five yellow. Well, five the first time, then it's four, then it's three. And he had 15 cards last match. Whether they're... Deserved or not, it's it's not really. I'm not gonna debate that right now. I just I'm counting on him missing action due to yellow card accumulations. Okay, um, and Dave makes a good point there with Moratu, Vertonghen, and and Andrea Almeida. I think that's a very probable. At some point, you will see those three. Um, I. I've been told also we're in the market for a right back and a left back. I'll believe that when I see it, okay? I haven't seen us spend money in that position. Our idea, I was talking to, shout out to Ruben Paj. I was talking to him today in a a private uh, Facebook chat, uh, direct messaging. And we were talking about how Benfica's idea of going to get a right back and left back is to get a forward or a midfielder who's almost good enough to play and convert them. It, Gilles Dij, again, I talked about this in the first segment when we talked about the women's team. Gilles Diez, Um you can go back in time, okay? Uh, Diogo Gonçalves, obviously. But go back to Miguel. Go back to Fabio Cuentrão, João Pereira. Um, who remembers Melgarejo, the Paraguayan striker that JJ in his first tent said, that's my left back, Melgarejo. Garejo. Um, you know... It, we have a long history. Nelson Semedo. Um, there was another Nelson. Just Nelson. His name was Nelson, a Cape Verdean uh, winger that we turned into a back. We have a long history of taking attacking players and, and lining them up at wing back. I feel like that's going to continue to be Benfica's uh, MO. Although I had a good chance yesterday to watch the B team play. And I really like Philippe Kruse. Okay. I really like that kid as a as a right wing back. Um, I remember I liked him a lot in the UEFA Youth League um, a couple seasons ago when Benfica went to the final. He was a big part of that team. Um, and it's great to watch the growth of these players in that team too. Uh, him, Louis, Luis, um, sorry, Ful- is it Luis or is it Philippe? <laughs> Philippe Luis, I think is his name. Um Anyway, uh sorry, Philippe Cruz. He that's the name I'm thinking of. He played very well, okay? You've also got Gonzalo Ramos and Enrique Araujo who are in that team. You know, now you see them growing up. The guy we just uh offloaded, Tiago Araujo, who just went on loan to Oroca, was in that team. Uh he very good player that can play as a left defender or as a right forward. It it's just it, there's there's a lot of these young guys coming through and I don't know. I could talk about the Luca Waldschmidt thing right now before I get into the match. We knew before the match Luca Waldschmidt was on his way out, or we had a good we had a good idea. In the broadcast on Gold TV again in English, Nino Torres talking about him as a as a great substitute, so I that's when I pulled out my phone here and I tweeted him and I said, Nino, Waldschmidt is gone. Uh Waldschmidt's going to to, to Germ back to Germany. We're gonna sell him. That's why he's not there. He didn't even travel. And ten fifteen minutes later, he addressed this on the broadcast, which you know you know strokes my ego a little bit when he shots out. It. He he mentions Mister Benfica there on Goal TV, and he says that he looked into it or had somebody look into it for him at Goal TV. And indeed, yeah, the the he even mentioned the the journalist that reported it that he was going to Wolfsburg or whatever, and um, or Werder Bremen. I don't remember. He was going to one of the one of the the green W teams in Germany, and um. You know, I don't like that sale. I said this at the in the preseason episode. And I think I said this at the end of last season. I and I'm I'm disappointed in, uh, in Rui Costa right now with this and in uh you know, in, in our new sporting director Braj. but it tells me something when they sold this kid, okay? I had said I didn't want to see any of these young players, Gonzalo Ramos, even Jota, um, Florentino, Luca Waldschmidt, Darwin Nunez. I don't see any of them sold this season when JJ's only got one year left on his contract. We know JJ's prejudices, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term. We know his preferences. His We know what he likes, what his favorites are. Okay? Um, and young players don't fit in very often in his plans. Okay? The fact that Gonzalo Ramos is getting as many minutes as he is is a testament to how hard he has worked for this manager, okay? Um, But we know JJ does not necessarily like to trust these kids. I would have said that as a principal, I would not sell any of these kids while JJ is manager. Loan them all out if you have to. Bring them back next year. Let the new manager decide if he has use for them because... Reality is, when J.J.'s gone, the next manager is going to be expected to use the academy again. We cannot commit financial suicide by spending this kind of money on the market every single year, no matter what we do in sales. Now, we just sold Luca Waldschmidt at a loss, and this is a kid I think has a ton of promise. This season, when he plays, he's involved in the goals. He's either in the goal or he gives the assist. I said this in the last episode. He puts himself in the right. Yes, it's a tap in, but it's because he put himself in the right position to tap it in. Now he's gone. Okay. Now he's gone. Now we got to find that production somewhere else. Now we sold him at a loss, a slight loss. What that tells me is that the situation financially at the club is worse than they're letting us. To, they're leading on. I won't be shocked if we find out at some date in the future that L.F.V. stole even more money than we realize, because there's no way we needed to to sell anybody at a loss right now. If there's too many players in the lineup, and yes, he's a you know used as a second forward was brought in to be a second forward because when J.J. came in, we signed him with the idea we were going to play four four two because J.J. plays four four two. Well, now we play three five two or three four three, and there's no place for a second forward, right? But um. So he's he's let go, loan him. Unless we absolutely needed that influx of cash, which is what I think. I think Benfica desperately needed to bring in cash, even if it was at a loss. We needed the cash flow, because that's the only reason you make this decision. Especially as we know with with elections, uh, you know, in the future, elections hanging in the balance. Some of you I know are very upset that there's no date yet. They really got to make a date, and what it looks like to me, and I don't want to believe this, but it looks like they're trying to get things really going, and really build Rui Costa's popularity as president before they announce elections. I hope that's not the case, because you got to do things right, okay? You have to do things right, and things have not been done right for a long time in this club. So you need a fresh start, or... There's more money missing from the coffers. And they're protecting the former president, maybe. Maybe they're selling off this player to put back something that was stolen and they don't want more investigation. I don't know. This that's a harsh charge to make. I'm not I'm not making that accusation. I'm giving you a hypothesis of why they might have sold this player. It's not a footballing decision in my opinion. There's no way. There's no way they take a loss on a player that age with that much upside. Okay? for football reasons. No way. Anyway, that's my thought on Valdschmidt. So, um here is Benfica's 3-4-3 three, three, or 3-5-2, three, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of a flex. It really is a at times it's five in the back, but not so much domestically. Okay, Vlakhodimos once again in goal. No more there's no more goalkeeping situation. Odi is the goalkeeper. It's absolutely um Done. Even if JJ says he, he didn't make a single save, that was difficult like he did on Wednesday. Uh, JJ in the postgame presser against PSV saying that he didn't even make a single save. I thought that was quite quite ridiculous. Um, I don't know why he needs to put players down like that. Maybe he didn't mean for it to come across that way. Um, he's not always the most poetic of people. So it's possible he didn't mean for it to come across that way. But uh, Odie is the man between the pipes and it is what it is. And I'll get into it in a little while. Um, One thing about JJ that is frustrating me is the lack of adjustment to some of the players and some of the personnel he has selected, yet doesn't adjust a few things in the team's shape to address some of the weaknesses in the players he has selected. Anyway, the three across the back, the three center backs, is I think our our top, this is going to be our three center back, I'm going to say it here. Um, I think Moratu has won this spot. I don't see Vertonghen overtaking him. I just he's just Vertonghen's a great player, a great guy, okay? Um he's very very uh fondly regarded it's by Spurs fans, by Ajax fans, by Belgium fans, even by Benfica just from last season, but he was getting beat a lot. Okay? He's tired. He's he's older. He needs some downtime. Moratu is young. Moratu is doing just fine. And Muratu is only going to get better. I think Muratu's won this spot, to be honest with you. Um, I could be proven wrong tomorrow. Who knows? But I think Muratu has won this spot. Otamendi in the deep-lying central uh, center-back role. And Lucas are probably our best player right now overall. Our most informed player as the right center-back. The right wing-back, of course, is Gilberto. The left wing-back is Gil Diez. A trio, or a, it actually isn't a trio. It is a four-man across the middle. So the the double pivot in midfield, in front of this back three, is Miete and Adel Tarabt. And um, what else do I say about Adel Tarabt? <laughs> um, someone tweeted, and it was the most Tarabt thing ever in this match. There's a play where he does a, he beats a guy like he's Zinedine Zidane. And then he gives the ball completely away on the next touch, and that sums up my frustration with this player. Um, again, he can do some great things. He is a five-a-side player. He's a foot. If I'm if I'm picking a futsal team, I'm picking him. Actually, I've said this: if you can't offload Tarapt and Gabriel, I say this half-jokingly, throw him in the futsal team. Have them see out the rest of their contracts in futsal because. Gabriel, for one, is a perfect pivot in futsal, and Adel ala hes going gonna—he's gonna blow by people. It, it's like his game. He's gonna beat people and then, you know, either shoot or miss. And but that's—he's much more built for that. He's a street player, and he's got a lot of skill, but it does not translate to an 11 aside football match. It—he's. Tactically atrocious. I've never seen a, a player at this level so bad tactically. He's never in the right place. No matter who you stick as his midfield partner, he's going to have a headache covering all the holes that the guy leaves. And it, it, what happens is the other problem is not only is he never in position, especially defensively, is he's going to force his partner to go out of position to win a ball, to cover for him or something. Then he's gonna retrieve the ball. He loves to come into the number 6 space to get the ball, too. That's the other thing about Tarap that irritates me. He comes into Weigel's space all the time. He comes into Meite's space. And then Meite has to move out of that space, obviously. And then Tarap gives the ball away, and there's a huge hole there for the opponent to come down. It happens far too much. Okay, I know I've criticized this player, especially on his goal and assist uh, his goals and assists record. People say, well, he's really a 10 or he's a, a second forward. What second forward gets one goal and three assists in three seasons? You tell me that with all the appearances and all the minutes he's been given. He's not. He, if that's his position, not at this level. So, again, I don't. he gives you 30 minutes. I don't know why you start him when he gives you 30 minutes. And to be honest, he is blocking Jetson right now and it's starting to piss me off. Jetson is a young player with potential and with a future who's continuing to be stymied because we insist on this player playing instead of him. And to be honest, after watching the B-team all three, I've seen all three matches of the B-team this year, because of that, Paulo Bernardo is stymied. He is being blocked. Paulo Bernardo is better than a Deltarapt. Yes, I said it here. Paulo Bernardo is better than a Deltarapt. Now, there's a positive of him staying in the B team and playing every match. That, that that's a different argument. But in matches when you're rotating the squad, when you need some fresh legs, those opportunities should go to someone else now. There's nothing more we're going to get out of this guy. Yeah, he hit the post in this one. That's the first time he's hit the post in, you know, a long time. But at the end of the day, for me, he doesn't justify his place in this team. And I know he's got his fans out there, and when I get to when I get too into you know, my opinion on him, I see my, my download rates going down. But I'm I'm not here to say what you want to hear. I'm here to say what I feel and what I think. And I'm giving my opinion based on my experience and what I've seen in locker rooms and what I've seen on touchlines, okay? I had decades in this game, okay? And he's just that player that, that for me, I, it drives me insane, and it's just not resulting in anything on the offensive end. Grimaldo can be a horrible defender and get beat for goals, but he makes up for it at the other end of the field. He delivers balls in the final third that re- that translate directly to goals. So if he gets beat and gives one up, there's a good chance he's going to go get it back for you. Adele doesn't do that for you. And he tires out. And, and when, when he's gassed, there's nothing more pathetic that I've seen in a first division in a top flight than a gassed out A delta dropped after 35 minutes. But J.J. insists, so he gets to start. And up up front, we get the, the duo of Gonzalo Ramos and Roman Yaremchuk. And I know Gonzalo Ramos hasn't scored. And I know I'm the first one to hammer home stats in these key positions. And he doesn't have the stats this season. But he's doing a lot of things well. He's doing a lot of things well, and it needs to be recognized. And all I hear is that he misses chances. Well, so does every other striker on this team. How many cha- How many chances does Seferovic miss? And you want to argue for him to play instead of Gonzalo? Come on now. Yaremchuk had his misses in this one, and I think Yaremchuk's going to be a monster once he adapts to Portuguese football. Once he can under, once he can kind of understand or relate to his teammates, I think he could be a monster in this league. But he misses, right? How many, Carlos Vinicius, you know, scores certain goals, but misses other ones. And Dave, Dave's got another point here that he has. He had a good header. Yeah, he did. Goes in 9 out of 10 times. Goalie made a great save. And um, this goalkeeper, Stan, he he had a great game. Uh, he had at least 4 or 5 really good saves. That kept it 0-0 for a long, long time. And, uh, yeah, I... I Listen, once the thing with forwards, okay, and with strikers and good strikers is it's just like in basketball, okay? When someone's in a slump and they're shooting, is the, the only way to get out of a slump is to keep on shooting. Same goes in football. If you're putting yourself in the right places and you're setting yourself up to get shots, if you're hitting posts, you keep shooting. They're going to start going in, okay? And I'd, I have a lot more patience for a 19- or 20-year-old missing seven out of eight opportunities than I do for a guy in his prime. Or a guy on the wrong end, you know, a guy pushing, what is Seferovic, 30 now? I have a lot more patience for a Gonzalo for that. Okay? What that means is you use you use Seferovic selectively. I I think these two are the two that we should be going with for the time being up front. And... um. This way, you know, and Everton is also in that starting lineup. I left him out. Everton playing down the left. Everton heavily criticized as well. A lot of people calling him a flop, okay? Now, Everton has got a problem, and that is that he went to Copa America, okay? He was just starting to find his form at the end of last season. He was just adjusting. The problem was he has started both seasons now at Benfica, Uh, with major, major lag coming in. And by lag, I mean um, coming in, you know, having played without any off time. Last year, he came straight from the Brasileirão into the Portuguese League. A Brasileirão that was well into their season already. Okay? He had already played some 30 matches for for Grêmio last season when he started with Benfica. And it took him all season to find his form. End of the season, we saw it. We saw it so much so that Teach picked him to go to Copa America and play for Brazil. And he played. He was in that final. He was in the semifinal. He played. Time that he should have been resting, he was playing. Again, just like Otamendi. Because we have these Champions League matches, he's got to hurry back. He doesn't get his full offseason. Thus, he's not playing as well again. But the other problem is a systematic problem for him. And this system does not suit his game. Okay, he's playing as a left-sided forward, as a left ala, right, uh, left central, like he plays in the left center channel. Problem is, what I think I see, whether it's Grimaldo or it's Gildiš, the left wing back is often moving into the space that Everton wants to go into. That's where he wants to play. Um, so what he does is he comes into the left center channel instead. And wants to cut in on his right foot a lot. And he's very good at that, but everybody knows that. And we're playing against teams, okay? And this doesn't happen in Brazil. He doesn't see this in the Brasileiro. I've watched enough of that league now for the last three seasons that you just don't see this this mentality that you see in the Portuguese league against these teams when they drop the line, the deeper-lying blocks. They clog the middle. So Everton, as a result of being a righty on the left... More so than a Rafa, because Rafa has the speed, the pace, and I think he has a better understanding or a more a better comfort in what his role is in that position. He's not always cutting in. he cuts in when it's there. Everton is trying to find the back of the net he's trying to he does some good things, okay, and he's trying to find that shot he's trying to find the form he finished last season with the other team knows it. he's dribble what he happens every time he gets the ball he's dribbling to where the other team has all their people and it's always going to be difficult to get a shot off like that okay what it does inversely okay what the the positive of that is is that the wing back whether it's Guldish or whether it's Grimaldo has all that space down the flank for him to lay it off to now we also saw a real nice back heel from from Grimaldo from sorry from Everton in this match and he played in Yarmchuk Adam Chuk was just a hair offside, and let's talk about that for a minute, huh? He's a hair offside, right? But uh, very visibly offside. Our uh, our VAR tells us it's twenty two centimeters. Believable, but very visibly offside. Uh, last week in another game, Fumalico ties seemingly ties the match, and when they freeze it, he looks level. Not visibly offside. Somehow the VAR tells us that was 21 centimeters. So how is 21 centimeters look completely even and 22 clearly off? I'm sorry, but they got to stop putting those measurements up because that's ridiculous. It, It cannot possibly be accurate. Or at least it cannot possibly be consistently accurate. There's something wrong with it because there's no way one centimeter makes such an obvious difference. But I'm digressing here. Let's get into this match. Um, But that's what I think is wrong with, with, with Everton. But also, what nobody's watching, finishing my thought on Everton, what nobody sees is the work he does defensively. The work he does getting back. The work he does cutting off passing lanes. Part of the reason he's not producing is because so much of his time is being spent You know, as we say in Portuguese, retreated. And it's leading me to think that this system is not a good fit for him. Now, he came in with a lot of promise. A few times last season, JJ slid him over to the right. And I liked liked him on the right because all of a sudden, he's not just trying to go inside every time. Sometimes he's dribbling to the outside. Sometimes he's beating the guy and delivering good crosses. Other times, it's there for the, you know, it's there to go in on his left. He's not as comfortable on it. But he also opens space for other players. But I think one thing JJ has to figure out, if he, he really wants to insist on this player, because this is his guy, and I'm a fan of his, okay? Maybe it's because I watched him play for Grêmio long enough to really like his game and watched him play for the Brazil national team long enough to like his game. JJ has to figure out where to where to slot him. But to me, I don't support changing the system of play to make one guy fit. So, I don't know. They, they're going to have to come up with something here for him. Um, Gilles start pretty well, actually. And we move into we move into the 15th minute, and they have their a real good opportunity here. A left-footed shot from outside the box by Fujimoto. And uh, he had been set up by Vitor Carvalho. And it was a nice save from Odisej oh, in the bottom right corner. A minute later, if could get their opportunity right for the shot from outside the box, Roman Yadimchuk. Uh, set up by Everton. Everton setting up a lot of guys, too. It may not look in the eye test like he's doing a lot. But when you go through the events of the match, you see just how involved he was in a lot of things. Uh, his shot from the outside, though, was blocked by the very well-positioned. Uh, back line. backline. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos with the header that that Dave was talking about here in the 19th. He misses for, uh, after he gets on the end of a really nice cross. Great save by by uh, Stan. And it's Everton's turn to have an opportunity in the 20th. Right-footed shot from the right side of the box. Saved in the center of the goal. Gonzalo Ramos doing well to set up his teammate there. Um... Lucas Cunha goes in, or Lucas Ferinjain. They say they use both Lucas Cunha and Ferinjain here as uh, his name. He goes in the book for a foul on Everton in the 23rd. 25th, Otamendi with the header. Misses just left. He gets on the end of a of a cross from Gilberto following a set-piece situation. Murilo with the chance. Murilo Souza of Gil Vicente. Left foot shot from outside the box, but high and wide. Set up by Samuel Linu. Fujimoto wins a free kick on the left wing in the 29th. Brought down by Lucas Verissimo. Moving on. Uh, Yadim Chuk with another opportunity in the 33rd minute. This is off the flick from Everton. But he mishit it. He's just a, a hair too high. Um, But he really, this was maybe the first Yadim moment where you're like, eh, you know, he, he puts himself in good position. Does everything right, but the body is a little off balance. He ends up sending it too high. Um, Gilberto goes in the book in the 44th minute. And we move to halftime. It's nil-nil coming out in the second half now. And it is Gonzalo Ramuz again now with the left-footed shot. This time from the right side of the box, bottom right corner, but saved again. Another nice save from Stan, the goalkeeper for uh, Gilles Vicente. In the 47th, sent to get their opportunity. Talosha, left-footed shot from the left side of the box, but it was blocked by Nico Otamendi. Um, corner subsequently conceded by Moratu, but in the ensuing corner, Fujimoto called for a foul on Everton on the corner. An attempt is missed in the 51st minute by Everton. Uh, right-footed shot from outside the box, and he misses left after Gilles Dij found him into some nice space. Another very good game, in my opinion, for Jill Dias. I, I like this kid. Uh, I think he's coming along real nice. I like, I like seeing the progression he's had at that position, and I think he's he's playing very well um, for a kid who is being converted into from a right-attack-minded player to a left-sided defensive player. Um, now when he's getting the ball on the left, of course, his instincts... He's a lefty, so instead of coming inside like we use so much with the inverted wingers in the modern game, he's he's beating guys to the outside and then delivering crosses. At no point when Gilles Diaz... And I know Grimaldo scores a worldie in this one. But at no point when it's Gilles Diaz instead of him, can you honestly say, oh, we're really missing Grimaldo right now. Maybe missing him a little bit going forward, but Gilles Diaz goes forward well also. And if there's... If Gilles is not better than him defensively, it's the difference is not even noticeable. Gilberto gets an opportunity in the 54th. Left-footed shot from outside the box, but that one gets blocked again. Gonzalo Ramos finding a guy in space. So, JJ goes to the substitutes bench with his patented triple substitution. He loves to bring in the multiple subs, not just two. It's got to be three. We saw four last week in the Champions League. But he brings on Andre Almeida for Gilberto Pizzi for Yarimchuk and João Mário for Adel Tarapt. So obviously more of a 3-5-2 now versus a 3-4-3. Uh, Pizzi playing as kind of a second forward but you know his tendency is 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 more as an attacking midfielder. Um, leaving Gonzalo as the lone striker here for a bit. But the key in this one is João Mário coming in. Now if you had told me when we, I've already said what I thought of this signing at the time and what I think of it now, right? And Romario grew on me. Joe was quickly becoming one of my favorites in this team. And I think what it is is we have a team of players, right? And what we've all lacked is an eight. We've talked about how we need an eight. He's literally the only eight we have in the roster. Whose characteristics are exactly that what you ask of that possess of that position. So what happens is by default we put him in and he looks like a superstar. I'm gonna be honest, last year, I, I know he's good, okay? But last year at Sporting, I didn't really notice him that much. Sporting were playing well, things were going well, but and he was a good player, but he wasn't someone that stuck out. You put him in this Benfica team, and suddenly. He's the key guy. Everything goes through him. He's the link-up to everything we do. He's the only guy calm on the ball. He's not going to kill you with speed. He's not lightning quick, but he's highly intelligent. His mental game is is way ahead of everyone else's. His vision's phenomenal, and his feet are very good. So whatever he lacks in pace and in quickness, he makes up for in just intelligence and skill foot skill and just ability to, to create space for himself with his feet and to find that pass. And this was a heck of a signing. This was one hell of a signing for Benfica because it's every something we didn't have in the team, as you can see. And he was given a rest, comes in on the hour mark, uh, finally puts us out of our misery, puts Adele out of his misery as uh, Tarapta's day is done at 57 minutes as he was sucking wind at the entire second half. Um, oh yeah, jean Mariu, without his normal companion his normal uh, midfield partner of Ulian Weigel in this one but showed quickly he can combine just as well with Mate. Mate looks like a monster. I mean Mate gets that much better as does any midfielder when your partner goes from being Terrap to being jean Mario. Suddenly it's like you got an extra player and I don't mean to keep throwing dirt on Adele Terrap and to be insulting or anything but you can just see the way everyone around gets better when you replace him. And especially when you bring in the quality of a João Mario. But in the 59th, it is Gil Vicente with the opportunity. Murillo gets a ball from Tolosha. He goes down the left side and his shot is saved in the bottom left corner. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the play where he gets in behind. And this is a play I put in my memory right away. And this is something that aggravates me about Jorge Jesus. Okay? And, again, let me preface by saying I think he's done a phenomenal job this season so far. Or he's done a good job this season so far. Um, I think he's done a real good job. I think his man management and his his minutes, his load management, as they call it in basketball in the NBA, has been good. And nothing's backfired yet. Okay? All the squad rotation has worked out. These matches have been tough. The team is tired. You can see it. Okay? This wasn't by any means a spectacular performance. You're not gonna get that right now in this phase of the season when you're playing every three days. Right now it's about survival. It's about accumulating points and getting to that international break, okay, at the end at the when we get to September. Um but one thing I don't like, and we know, listen, we all know I mean, if you could have no pace at the back, right? Verissimo's got some. But as a unit, they don't have much pace at the back. And that became evident in this play, if this is the one I'm thinking of, where Otamendi's on his horse doing everything he can, and he he's got no pace to stay with Murillo. He manages because Otamendi is smart enough, in a very Giorgio Chiellini way. Okay, he runs the correct angle to make up for his lack of pace, and he's able to get there just in time to just in time for for Murillo to probably hear his footsteps. I don't think he accomplishes anything more than Murilo <laughs> hearing his footsteps. But it's enough to push Murillo to an angle wide enough where it makes the save very comfortable for Odisej. However, JJ, you have to stop playing such a high line. Because once you lose the ball, it's very easy to put the ball in behind our back three and let their, their strikers outrun Otamendi. Outrun when Vertonghen is there or Moratu is there. The pace is not there. To make it worse, we all know we have a goalkeeper in Odi Vakodimus, who we've now seen. There's no one that can argue that he's not the starting keeper in this coach's mind, okay? So, JJ, you have selected. You have decided that Odi is your goalkeeper for whatever reason. And I back it because he's, he's done. But you know he cannot come out. You play a high line... And this is why I know J.J. wants a goalkeeper that can play with his feet. That's why Diego Alves at Flamengo was so crucial for him in playing the game he wanted. You need a guy who can play as a sweeper keeper when you want to play that high of a line. That's not Odie. That's not Odie. And what happens is you have tons of space to run into and to use the pace to get in behind our back line. And like I said, Otamendi, using his intelligence, doing a, a Chiellini. And why I use Chiellini is because I've seen him up close and personal when I saw Benfica play Juventus and I ended up just studying Chiellini's movements for much of that first half because he knows he's slow but he knows the angles and he does not waste a single step running anything but the perfect angle the shortest distance Otamendi does that here just enough so that Murillo hears his footsteps and he forces the shot and Odie makes a nice save now Odie between the pipes is good I don't think anyone doubts that. He's as good. If he can see it and he can square his body and he can die for it, he is going to save most of them. When he has to come out, when he has to run, when he has to come out and field a cross, it's a whole different story. Another reason why your back line can't be that high. You need them to be able to sink and to defend the cross quickly and get on the you know around the penalty area so that we have three center backs there ready to win the cross you're playing them that high up the pitch, early crosses can kill us because we have a goalkeeper that's not good at coming out to get them, and we have a back three that's not quick enough to get back to defend him. I would like to see that tweaked. I would like to see JJ tweak that a little bit. I would like to see—I'll talk about this tomorrow when I go live before the game. I'd like to see that line of confrontation dropped a little bit and the back line, you know, not far off of our box, Okay. Um, where we set up defensively, I know they're going to have to move forward when we have the ball, but where I like to see them set up is further back. All right, moving forward, it's still nil-nil. Sixty-third minute, Gonzalo with another opportunity, a header from very close range, and this might have been the the one that this may be the one Dave was talking about. Uh, this forces a nice save again from Stan. Uh, Mario, this is the one actually because I remember João Mario fi- uh, delivering a fantastic cross once he comes in and he puts it right on Gonzalo's head but it is saved Fujimoto goes into the book in the 66th um, and he's then substituted by Ricardo Suárez, Emmanuel Hackman comes in and Kanye Fujimoto is done for the day uh, PZ with an opportunity in the 70th He's set up by Matej. Matej coming along, like I said. I think once he's hitting his form, and like like Yaremchuk, once he can, once he knows his his teammates' movements, and he understands more of the methodology of what Benfica are trying to do, he's going to be a lot better. And I really think, especially maybe we'll see this tomorrow. I kind I would do this tomorrow, but I don't know that JJ's going to do it. But at some point, especially if we go into the Champions League, which is still a tall order, but if it happens. I think the midfield is Mete behind, behind, playing as a six, behind Romadio and Weigel. That's, I think, our best midfield that is going to protect that center of the pitch. And you got two guys that can distribute well. Mete also good at distributing the ball. I think we'd be very dynamic with those three, playing as a triangle in midfield. We'll see if it happens. But here it is Pizzi, the right-footed chop from the center of the box. Close, but he misses right. Set up by Mete with a headed pass following a corner. And then some substitutions. Another double substitution for J.J. here in the 71st. On comes Grimaldu. Off comes Gilles Diez, like for like. And then Darwin comes on for Everton. So this tells me this tells me that, that J.J. is saw what I saw last season, that Darwin is not a striker and that he needs to play down that left-center channel. The problem is Darwin's not ready to play. It was obvious within minutes. Okay, he's coming off a of surgery, and there's a comment on the screen, if you can see it, from my my cousin Nelson there, uh, a a strong Sportingista. I, I talk all the time about my, my family of Lergach and uh, here's one of them, and a great guy, though, and he still can't get over it, João Mario in red, I'm still getting used to it too, bro. I'm still getting used to it. I like it, but I'm still getting used to it. Um, in fact, I think now that that, that is gone, they should put the number ten jersey on Drew per personally. But uh, getting back to Darwin Nunez, okay. And Dave, if you're still in the in the in there, Dave and I were talking yesterday a bit. I think it was yesterday. Um, we were exchanging messages on Twitter, and we were talking about. Darwin he was interested in my thoughts on Darwin and I I said I think what I see and again I have a perspective that's different okay fans that watch the matches on TV and and uh, I'm not discrediting fans but Darwin is a player that reminds me of many I've worked with okay obviously he's way better than anyone I've worked with but you know what the difficulties he's having at his level relative to the difficulties I've seen players at, at levels I've worked at the expectation on Darwin is through the roof okay that's the first problem Darwin has had no role in no fault in his transfer uh, in his transfer rate okay yes it was inflated we overpaid that's because we had just sold Juan Felix and everyone knew we just made 180 million or whatever we made okay Darwin is not a fault that João Félix was sold for a record fee at the time. Darwin came from the Spanish second division. Now, imagine for a second Darwin's last name was not Núñez and it was Nunes, and he came from the Portuguese second division. Let's say Benfica signed him from let's say they signed him from Mafra. Okay? And I'm not I'm not saying that he, you know, the Spanish second division is obviously a higher level. But let's just add some context. Let's say Mafra has a guy, or if you don't want to say Mafra, say, I don't know, uh, say, who's down there, right? (laughs) Say, um, I'm thinking of the teams that are the top in the league. Uh, Académica. Oh, let's let's go with Académica. Let's say we get we got him from Académica instead of from from Spain from the Spanish second division. Okay. We would regardless of the price tag. We would say, oh, this guy came from the second division. If he makes the team, that's good, right? Darwin comes from the Almería, the second division. Yes, one of the best second division teams in in, in La Liga Dos. Okay, I get it. For a lot of money, Uruguay International. I get it. He's played for Peñarol. He's played for the biggest club in his country. One of one of two. Okay, I don't want to upset the Uruguay. Any Uruguayans listening that are Nacional fans. Okay, Nacional and, and Peñarol are the Sporting and Benfica or the Porta and Benfica of Uruguay. Okay, Darwin came from there. Darwin has so much raw talent. Okay, and I. To me, I could see within the first steps he took in the, took in this match, he was not ready to play. He's coming off surgery, and the problem was he was cleared, probably cleared to play, but he by no means ready to play in a first division match against a a very quality opponent. Don't tell me I'm overrating Gil Vicente right now. We'll, we'll talk in May and see where Gil Vicente is in the table. This group, if it stays together, is going to be in a good position in May. Darwin knows he's being called a flop. Darwin knows he's being called a bust. Darwin knows how much Benfica paid for him. Darwin hears all of the noise, okay? There's no way he doesn't hear it. You cannot protect a player from it. My problem, and this is what the club is, is not protecting him at all. Why? I mean, he's not getting any support from his teammates. OK, the it doesn't look like any veteran wants to take this kid under his wing and help him out. My how much he would benefit from having a Jonas in this team. If Jonas was still on Benfica today, Darwin would be in a much better place with the team, with the fans, with the media, with the manager. Darwin is a kid that needs someone to put their arm around him. Tell him to keep his head up and to keep doing his job and things will turn around. Darwin is facing adversity he's never seen before. He's got expectations he could have never imagined when he was at Almeria. Okay? Darwin loves the badge. He has shown how grateful. He's got gratitude to play for a club that competes at the top of a league in Europe. Okay, He's not a flop. Darwin was purchased on a five-year contract. Now, if I go buy a plot of land tomorrow, okay, if I go buy a plot of land tomorrow and I give the builder five years to build my house, I've used this as an investment before. I'll talk in more practical terms. If I give the, you know, I sign a contract with the builder that he has five years to build me the best house he can, okay, custom made. This is what Darwin is. He's a custom built house or a custom built vehicle and you have given the 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 builder 5 years that's the agreement if you don't like where they are, the progress is after 16 months you're going to go sell the house for less than you bought it for are you out of your mind it's a 5 year investment It's insane to me that people, after one year and three matches, or one year and four matches, are calling him a flop because he hasn't done it yet. He's green. Everybody can see it. Everybody can see he's green. He's still new to Portuguese football because, first of all, he spent all last year until the final, what, the final month playing in the wrong position as an out-and-out striker. They put the number 9 on him like he's an out-and-out striker. Or like they could just make him into that out-and-out striker. I think that's really what happened. I think they saw potential in him and said, Yeah, but he's not going to play on the left. He's going to play as a striker. Lone striker. And he's going to be the new Oscar Cardozo. And worst of all, he came in on the heels of us not getting Edison Cavani. So, you can't sign Cavani, we're going to get the next Cavani. But he's not that player. We've seen him be good when he's partnered with Gonzalo Ramos. Last year especially, coming in down the left, he's an assist guy. I saw it on Twitter. One of you guys and listen, I like you all. Okay, I love my 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 my, my followers, I love my listeners, my viewers. But somebody said a striker that doesn't shoot why do we have him? And A, he's not a striker. He has shown that. I don't care what George Zeus says. I don't care what the media says. I don't even care what the player or his agent say. My eyes tell me he's not a striker. And you can tell that by the movements he makes. You can tell that by the decisions he makes, by what he wants. His instinct is to find somebody in position. His instincts are to get out on the left, win the ball, beat a guy, and look for somebody to give the ball to. That's not a striker. You can't just make a striker. So A, he's not a striker. B, that's why he's looking to pass. He wants to set people up. Now, you, if you went and got a setup guy and you spent a record fee for a setup guy that you think you can just make into a, a goal scorer, that's on Befica. That's not on Darwin Nunez. And I will defend Darwin Nunez on this platform, on this air, as long as uh, as I need to, Okay. Now, if they play him in his role and he doesn't evolve, that's a different story. And it looks like JJ's starting to understand that because he's lining him up further on the left. And um, coming in, and I think he was trying to recover that magic from last season. I forget where we were playing. Uh, we were in those hideous black kits. But Darwin came came in and set up two Gonzalo Ramos goals in like five minutes last year. That's what he does well. You can see that that's what he does well. That's what he's looking to do. But you're blinded, everybody blinded, by the transfer fee. That you're pigeonholing him into this striker goal-scoring role that he's just not equipped to fill, in my opinion. But he's so young, and and he can develop into that. Dare I remind you, at Darwin's age, Cristiano Ronaldo was not a goal-scorer. Dare I remind you. At his age, Cristiano Ronaldo was an out-and-out winger that whipped in crosses, that dribbled, that over-dribbled, that did fancy things and got kicked. That Sir Alex Ferguson had to take his time in mold. They didn't call Cristiano Ronaldo a flop in his first season at Old Trafford or in his second season at Old Trafford. His numbers weren't that good then. He didn't even start sometimes. But now you have an expectation of this kid. Because you decided to overpay for him. Or I should say, because your club decided to overpay for him. Our club decided to overpay for this guy. Because they're playing poker and hoping that this guy is gonna is the future's bet. And that he's going to deliver. And they're going to get a record fee for him later, which they still might. But you're getting impatient. And Befica have shown impatience with young players that's starting to infuriate me. Because now, we, we overspend to bring him in. And then we undersell them because we lose our patience. Luca Valtteri, case in point. Maybe the player wanted out. It's true. You know Mario on on B A after ninety last night uh, or Saturday. Saturday, whenever he they last went live. I watched it last night. Uh, shout out to Benfica after ninety, by the way. Shout out to Mario up there at M dot uh, S L B. Made a great point. Luca came to Benfica as a German national team player and now is not starting, and he needs to get back. And he may have wanted his way back to Germany to play in front of his national, his new national team coach in a team where he can play. It's all possible. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me either once Mario put this out there if, if he comes out in the weeks to come and says he was really unhappy at Benfica. I think there's a language barrier. And Benfica should be getting coaches that can speak English at the very least. So that you can communicate to some of these players. I mean, we've seen Tarapt translating for Yadimchuk. I mean, <laughs> you know, and Yadimchuk speaks very good English, but George Zuzh does not. I'm, I'm hoping someone on his staff does. But you've seen it. You have seen Yadimchuk, you know, be instructed by Tarapt, who's standing between JJ and... And Adam chuck translating for him, and what what Tadapt understands of JJ, I don't know because Tarapt, after five years, is still giving interviews only in English. Well, he could do it in French as well, but he's not giving interviews in Portuguese. So I don't know what he could possibly understand to be translating. There's a communication problem there. Anyway, back so Darwin comes in for Everton. I got way off the off the case there, and he doesn't look good. Okay, right away he's not ready. He's not fit. Just because he's not hurt anymore does not mean his fitness is where it needs to be to play first division football against the top eight first division side. Okay. Now, in the 74th, we get, we get a yellow card to Stanislav Krishuk, the goalkeeper, for wasting time. Bilal wins a free kick for Gil Vicente after he's fouled by Muratu in the 75th. Nothing comes of it. Another attempt for Benfica in the 75th uh, coming off of that. And it is André Almeida getting on the end of a ball from Meite. André Almeida streaking down the right side. Gives an effort. Uh, he has a right-footed shot from the right side of the box, but high and wide. I think it was meant to be a cross, to be honest. mob is being generous, calling it a shot. Uh, 78th, Gil Vicente sends on Mateusz Bueno for Bilal. And Bilal comes off. Um, He's given Befica trouble in the past today, or in this one, Befica do well to hold him off. PZ has a right-footed shot attempt uh, blocked in the 83rd, but leads to a corner kick. And in the 83rd, finally, it is broken. The deadlock is broken. It's a corner kick that ends up getting cleared and sent back out way to the left where PZ is collecting it. PZ takes a touch central. Fires on goal. This is not a pass. And I'm a big PZ defender because of things like this. Okay, He can have 10 straight lost balls just like Adel Tarap. The difference is PZ finds his way to put his name in the score sheet every time he plays almost. He either gets a goal or an assist, even on a play like this where his shot turns into a great pass. (laughs) But it is PZ shooting, and the ball falls right to... Uh, Lucas Veríssimo, the goalie, had already dove because of the shot and thus makes a nice, easy tap-in off the left foot of Lucas Veríssimo. Now, uh, this is hilarious to me because this is Portuguese VAR at its best. For the next 5 minutes and 45 seconds, we watch... Sorry, 4 minutes and 45 seconds. We watch... This referee stood there like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, going back to Gold TV and to Nino Torres calling the game, saying, what are they talking about? What are they watching? It was a clear... It took 10 seconds to see that that Verissimo was onside. Talasha kept him onside. Number 31 for Gilles Vicente kept him onside. Once I saw it once, it's, and they're still looking. And then Nino guesses that they must be checking... Uh, the the pass that went out to Peasy wide on the left, they show that, and you can see Talasha still leaves Peasy on side on that play as well. Talasha in backtracking after he had come out of the area. This would happen. Corner kick was sent in. It was cleared partially. Talasha came way out, as you do when you defend a corner kick. Comes out. Now he's retreating because the ball's been knocked back to Peasy. In his retreat, he runs so. Hard that he passes PZ and puts him on side. Okay. And continues to go past Verissimo and put him on side. So thank you to Benfica But if he could get the goal here, again PZ gets his name on the score sheet. And it is another assist for the assist king. And the Brazil center back, soon to be Brazil or soon to be Brazil national team center back, uh makes it one nil as he is off to a phenomenal start of the season this year. Uh, Finally, Benfica break the deadlock. But we still stand there and wait for the VAR to finally allow the goal. I'm wondering what they're, they're doing. I saw on Twitter someone said that they must have rewound the tape all the way to the start of the second half to see if they could call something. This is what leads to conspiracy theories. This is what leads to people thinking there's fixes in matches. Porto goals never reviewed for much more than a couple of seconds. Especially when they score. If they're called offside, they'll look. They'll look. They'll look. Or if it's disallowed, they'll look to try to to overturn that. You score on Porto, there's plenty of time. They're looking. They're looking. They're looking. When we score, it takes an eternity for these referees to finally allow the goal. I joked in response to, to somebody. And I said, I, I wish they'd released the audio because we would. what we would hear is the referee and the VR, VAR official discussing where they're going to dinner or something because that's the only thing they could possibly be talking about because there was no offside here. Five minutes later, 88th minute. It's 2-0. It's a whirly. It is a wonder strike by Alex Grimaldo. Set up by guess who? Gonzalo Ramos. Yes, he's not scoring, but he's doing a lot. He's getting involved. He's... He, last match in the league he ran 13 kilometers this one i didn't see what his total mileage was in this one but i'm sure it was high he does a lot of work he's a workhorse and i think that's why jj is warming up to him in addition of course in in um in combination with injuries but or conjunction with injuries but it is grimaldo left-footed shot outside the box top corner what a bend the guys on ba 90 said that's the goal of the year for now and someone's got to go out and beat it. I agree. And that is Benfica winning. It will will go through the rest of the match and Benfica hold on. Benfica, I've been going long. Benfica win. 2-0, three more points. Let's go to the goal point. Um here I'll bring it up. And see what the player ratings ended up being in this one. And I know I'm starting to run very late. Thank you for sticking with me this long. Uh, if you watched both episodes. And if you're listening, thank you also. So here we go with the player ratings. We will start with Gilles Vicente. 0.4 XG for Gilles. As they would end up with an average rating of 5.0. Stan- Stanislav Krichuk, uh with the 6.3. He was their best player. No doubt about that. Zach 3.8, Lucas, 5.0, Ruben, 4.7, Tolosha, 5.5, Murillo, 4.8, Pedrinho, 4.7, Vitor, um, Vitor Carvalho, 5.2, Fujimoto, 5.1, Bilal, 4.7, and Sandro 5.3, off the bench, Hackman gets a 5.0, Benfica, another man-of-the-match performance by Lucas Verissimo, everyone agrees on that. If you go with a 2.0 XG, 2.0, 2 is the goal. Average rating of 6.18. Vlaku 5.9. Gildeish 6.6. Good outing for him again, like I said. Uh, Moratu, 7.1. Very good rating for him. Second highest rate on the team. Otamendi, 6.3. Verissimo, 7.2. Like you said, man of the match. Gilberto, 5.3. Gonzalo Ramos, 6.3. Good outing for him. Mete, 6.7. Tarapt, 5.7. Uh, Everton, 6.0, and Yaremchuk, 4.9. Pizzi comes off the bench for a 5.3. Andre Almeida, 5.4. João Mario off the bench for a 5.9. That's a good rating, especially coming off the bench. The attendance in this match also was 3,751, of which I think 3,700 were Benfica fans. Grimaldo off the bench with a 6.4, of course, in an out-of-this-world goal, and Darwin Nunez earns himself a 5.3 in the minutes he played for as much as he's being criticized, you know, given the few minutes he had. that That's not as bad as people want it to be. Uh, looking at the stats quickly, shots 21-5 to in favor of Benfica, seven of those on goal, meaning that five good saves made by the goalkeeper. 35 actions in the opponent's uh, penalty area to 5 for Benfica. 9 corners, 87% pass efficiency, 72% of which is a vertical pass efficiency. That one means more to me. Uh, That's a good uh, vertical pass efficiency. And again, one of my favorite stats. This really, I think, measures some work rate. Benfica win this battle as well. In defensive actions in the opponent's midfield, it's 12-8. to Benfica commit more fouls. I have no problem with that. Again, that comes from the same intensity they're using to press and make defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. 62% of possession goes to Benfica. Looking at the at Lucas Ferrisimo here, you see his heat map. He loves this part of the pitch right here. And from here, he distributes like he is a central midfielder. Um, I really like this player. He's really coming along. What a purchase he was last year. He has a goal. Uh, he... Has an 88% pass efficiency, and you can see there three steals, two interceptions, and um, one and one on aerial battles. Okay, let's then go to the table real quick. I'll bring the screen back here as we unshare, and I will pull up the the table from Sofa Score for you guys. And next week's let's go to next week's fixtures first. While I do that. As I bring up sofa score to show you guys the live table as it stands right now, but first next week's fixtures, the liga will get started in round four on friday august the twenty seventh bad hosting more dancead's home pitch where is it right? Right, it is. It looks like they are returning to the Jamor. I know they've played in Leiria already. They're kind of a club with no home. They're a little bit of a vagabond club. But uh, Bisad opening up the round against Moreniz, um on Friday. And then later on Friday, Istriel host Maritimo. Next up is... Next up is uh, Saturday's matches. Sorry for that slight... Uh... Loss of focus there. 10:30 um, a.m. Eastern time here in the United States. That's 3:30 p.m. in Portugal. And there have been criticisms about these start times. At a hot part of the season, they're playing at 3:30 in the afternoon. But it is Vizela hosting Boavista, Boavista who were two-nil winners over Santa Clara earlier today. Then Porto host Aroca at uh, 1 p.m. next next Saturday. 6 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time at the Dragão, at the Ludro. And then in the nightcap next Saturday, it is Famalicão hosting Sporting Club Portugal. And you know who we'll all be rooting for and maybe an opportunity for, for our rivals to drop some points. We'll see. Both of them, maybe they can drop some points. By the way, Porto, how'd you like that bailinho da Madeira, huh? Go cry about the pitch to somebody else. You guys get away with everything. And then you cry about someone's pitch. Man, man. poor Sergio Conceição poor Francisco Conceição falling and, and diving and then not getting the call thank you referee for not falling for that nonsense Saturday we start off It is uh, we open up the round at 1pm and leave it to the Liga Portugal to do this uh, Dave if you're still there I'm sorry Liga Portugal sucks got Benfica playing Tondela one o'clock Eastern Time. Right, hogging the TV. Obviously, the distribution is going to put the Benfica game on, and and this is horrible scheduling. And I would expect nothing less from the Liga Portugal. Benfica host Tondela. That's what most of our listeners are are are, are you know paying attention to. But at the same time, you have the Derby do Minho, one of the biggest games in Portugal. This pisses me off. You play games. You start around on Friday and you play all the way to Monday so that everyone can get on TV. But you have a big match like this, Braga versus Vitória, the Minho Derby. It's a rivalry that goes back. It's a heated rivalry. It's a it's a good rivalry. It's good for Portuguese football. It's a rivalry that needs that exposure. It should be in its own time slot. But no, no, you're gonna put them on at the same time as a Benfica match and. Liga Portugal, you guys suck. I'm just going to say that. Whoever makes these decisions and does the scheduling, you suck. End of story. Anyway, uh, closing out Sunday's matches on the 29th of August next week. Portimonense host Passos de Ferreira and Santa Clara host Gil Vicente in São Miguel. And that's it. And then we are at the international break. So uh, much needed international break for Benfica. I know a lot of them are going to go to their national teams. But at least um, at least they shouldn't be logging as many minutes as they are right now. Okay, let's go to the table. One last thing before we call it an episode tonight. Thank you again for sticking with me so long here. I'm going to put up here, courtesy of SofaScore. This will be up on MisterBenfica.com in the morning. But there you see it. First place belongs to Sporting right now on goal difference. They have one goal more than we do. Three victories. No draws. No defeats. 7-4. one against. Nine points. Benfica sharing that spot. Just one goal behind with 6-4. one against. In third place right now, it is Isturil who climb and pass Porto today on goal difference. Two wins. One draw. 5-4. 1 against. One goal better, or one goal uh, allowed better than Porto. Porto in fourth right now with seven points. Fifth place right now is Gil Vicente. Six points, two victories, and a defeat. Four goals, four, one, uh, two against. So those two we put on them are the only two goals they've conceded so far. Braga are sixth right now with six points, two victories, and a defeat. Portimonense are also there with them, just with an inferior goal difference. Um, or with inferior goals scored, sorry. According to SofaScore, head-to-head is the first tiebreaker. So Portimones must have lost to Braga, and that's why they're behind them. So Braga is ahead of Portimones. Portimones have six points. So do Boa Vista, as we said, two nil winners today uh, against Santa Clara. And then you have Vittorio with four points, one goal, one loss, one goal. One win, one loss, one assist. Maritimo also one win, one loss, one uh, one draw. I think I just called Vittoria's draw and assist as well. It is getting to be too late. <laughs> it is 10.26 p.m. right now where I'm at. Um, but then you got Vizella in 11th place. One victory, two two defeats, three points. Three points also for Pas Ferreira, Roca and Tondela. And then Moreirense with only one point right now, fifteenth, and then in the drop zone. Right now it's Santa Clara in the playoff the the relegation playoff spot. This of course uh, Santa Clara and Pas de Fajeda's struggles due to their excellent, excellent performances in Europe. They both have massive games this week. So I want to use this space to wish the best of luck and to, to send support to both Pasos de Ferreira and Santa Clara for their upcoming matches this week and they're both I believe on the road one at you know playing Tottenham at the Tottenham stadium and the other in uh the other in Belgrade taking on Slavia Belgrade so uh partis, excuse me Partizan Belgrade so Santa Clara go to Serbia while uh Posterita go to London to take on uh Spurs and I'm rooting for both of you on Thursday forza okay bring bring it home and let's let's get Portugal ahead of France in that coefficient. We're so so close to becoming the fifth league, even though they call the, they're going to continue to call France one of the big five. We're so close to being fifth, uh, the fifth highest-rated league in Europe. Uh, so. I'm not worried about Santa Clara yet. It's early. I think once they get through this phase, whether they advance or not, I think you're going to see them find some form in the league uh, very, very soon. Fumalico right now in 17th, but that's only because they were robbed against Porto. Three matches, three defeats, unfortunately, for Ivo Vieira. And B side, the petite side, off to a dreadful start. Three matches, three defeats, one goal, four, six against. Here is right now the top-rated players here on this side of the screen, if you can see it. According to SofaScore, Pedro Gonçalves Pot is the top-rated player right now with an average 7.87 rating. That's because uh, SofaScore gives, on on average, much higher ratings than does GoalPoint. But here is your top scorers at this point. It is Pot on top. And here's something that's very interesting. Pot with three goals. Tony Martinez with three goals. Both of these guys... 18 months ago, we're playing for Fumalico. Let that sink in for a minute. Just how good that Fumalico side that just missed out on Europe was in terms of talent. Lucas Verissimo, our, our central, is there also uh, with two goals. As is Carlos Junior of Santa Clara, Adra Franco of Estoril. the now gone Luca Waldschmidt uh, has two. As does Ricardo Horta, Daniel dos Santos, Daniel dos Anjos, excuse me, Frank Navarro, and Betu who is rumored to be headed to the Estadio do Ladrão. No surprise there, we were predicting that last season. Okay. Thank you everybody. That's going to do it for this episode 122 again. Like I said, um, tune in to the normal spots, the YouTube, the Mr. Benfica YouTube. Make sure if you're if you haven't yet go and subscribe to Mr. Benfica on YouTube. Um, Follow me on Twitter as follow the show on Twitter as well at uh, Benfica Mister. That's where you're watching right now. If you're watching on on Periscope, okay, make sure you give a follow there. And 2:30 uh, 2.30 to 2:35, somewhere in there tomorrow afternoon, or in Portugal it's 7:30 7:35 at night, about a half hour before kickoff. I'll go live with a little pregame show. And we'll talk uh, PSV Benfica tomorrow. So I'll see you then. Thank you for joining this marathon session. Um, if you listened on the podcast, you got two episodes today. And I look forward to uh, being with you again um, probably tomorrow, actually, because I'm traveling Wednesday. There'll be another episode tomorrow, 8 o'clock Eastern time here in the United States. So just uh, 1 a.m. Portuguese time tomorrow. Um, I will be live again. Recapping this PSV match before I hit the road and head for Virginia Beach. So everybody, have a great night. Um, enjoy the match. If I if you don't hear from me tomorrow or if you can't tune in because you're working like a normal person, um, enjoy the match. And I'll be in your earbuds again very very soon. So don't make sure you follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow and make sure you give this show a five-star rating so I can get it out to as many people as possible. Thank you for staying so long tonight. It's been a pleasure. This is the Mr. Mike Agostino signing out. Don't forget, www.mrmafika.com. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. (laughs) tat tat acht acht auf dit dit tat tat be good trip tat 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 you spit amusement fun That gets you for two spins That music 101 It gets fun in the club I'm done Unless I go numb Make my flow dumb Go write a hit song called fight or run So many idols come So many idols go But in the end man I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>